This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. For our teaching time today, we are going to look at the Isaiah passage a little more clearly and completely and thoroughly, we hope. And Isaiah starts out, chapter 58, verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. This chapter talks about the people's need for repentance and righteousness. God tells him to go to the people and tell them, basically, you guys are messing up. What's happening here is in verse 2, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me the ordinances of justice, take delight in the approaching God. And so we look at that and say, well, wait a minute, they're seeking the Lord. What's wrong with that? We're tempted to think, well, you know, all that looks fine to me. But verse 3 is the key to understanding this. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Verse 3, they're saying basically at the first part, Hey God, we fasted and you're not noticing? Come on, Lord. I mean, look at all this stuff we're doing, all this righteous stuff we're doing. Shouldn't you be noticing us, God? And then the Lord says, no. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. So what's going on here is... They are fasting for the wrong reasons. And so we, Spurgeon says about this section of the scripture, they are always in a place of worship if possible. They cannot have too many services or sermons, yet they have no heart towards God. Oh, my dear friends, let us always be afraid of merely external righteousness, genuine conversion, real devotion to God, and true communion with God, these are the sure things. But mere outward religiousness is nothing but so much varnish and tinsel. It is indeed but the ghastly coffin of a soul that never was quickened unto spiritual life. This is the way these sham religionists talked about their religion. He says, when God rejects a man's religion, what must be the reason of it? Here's the explanation. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. You fast, but you make your workmen toil on still, and you determine that they shall not have one atom of their labor abated. But you make an amusement of what you call a fast. In the day of your fast, you find pleasure. And so what's going on here is that they are fasting for petty and even wrong reasons. They fast to win arguments. You say, oh, I'm fasting, Lord, 
Help me to win that argument I'm having with my next door neighbor. Help me to do that, Lord. Help me to overcome this. And so they fast for all sorts of simple worldly things. David Guzik says about this same passage, he says, they fasted for needs, certainly, but selfish needs like, Lord, help me win this argument. Lord, help me defeat this person. Though their prayer was accompanied with fasting, it was still a selfish, even wicked prayer. So God did not answer. And the purpose of their fasting was to glorify themselves, to make their voice heard on high. God says, no more. You will not fast as you do this day. As a matter of fact, they were fasting to even help win fistfights. They were in conflict with their neighbors, and it got to the point of where they were throwing punches. And so they were fasting so they could say, Lord, help me to beat up that guy. Can you imagine fasting for that particular reason? Lord, I have an argument with my next door neighbor. He keeps putting his fence on my property. Help me, Lord, to go over there and burn his fence down. That's basically what they're fasting for, for God to intervene in some of the most worldly situations we can think of. And I imagine all of us have a decent imagination where we can think of all kinds of worldly things. So, but they were fasting for very fleshly things. Now, they were prideful, and all of their piety was for show. Like the Pharisees who would stand on the street corners and raise their hands and pray, or like the Pharisee and the tax collector in the tabernacle or the synagogue saying, Oh Lord, I pray fast, and I fast like so many times a week. And help me not be like all the wicked people, like this tax collector over here. You know, that's what was going on. And God, of course, was not impressed, right? So, Rob Phillips says, they're fasting, but they're neglecting the clear instructions from the Lord to care for the less fortunate among them and to treat them as members of their own family who at one time had been slaves in Egypt. In other words, they were missing the point. Fasting should result in self-denial, not self-indulgence. When believers share with others, it serves as a reminder that all they own ultimately belongs to God. You know that all that we have belongs to the Lord. Those cars we worry about so much, and of course it's good to take care of your car, but it ultimately belongs to God. So, in fact, Jesus appears to have fasted often, continuing, including the 40 days before his public ministry. Isaiah's point is that fasting as an expression of piety is of far less concern to God than a righteous lifestyle. Spirituality is shown by the loving quality of our personal relationships and by our commitment to justice and helping the poor and the oppressed, not by fasting. So if the people have an inner righteousness as opposed to a hypocritical outer righteousness, it will be revealed in acts of charity and justice honored by God. Think about that. If we are really fasting for the right reasons, and if we are fasting with righteous intent, it'll show 
in how we live. We won't be walking around out there, look at, look at me, look at how spiritual I am. Or strutting around like in church even. Well, I'm praying at the front and I hope everybody sees me because I want everybody to think I'm really righteous. And that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for actual demonstrations of a changed life. People who are actually surrendering to God, looking after other people's needs before their own, and not doing anything for self-righteousness sake. Okay? Now, in verse 6, we start looking at the fasting that God actually wants us to do. It says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to spare your, share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. You see, what God is looking for is fasting for the true right reasons. We're supposed to, if we have come to Christ, we're supposed to be, have, a, have a changed life and changes to where we do things for the right reason, not self-centeredness. And our relationship with God improves. You'd be amazed at how well your relationship with God improves if you do fasting and you do it for the right reason. You see, what's going to happen here is that, and Doug Bratt said about this, Isaiah reminds us that those who fast in ways that are acceptable to the Lord don't turn our backs on these vulnerable people. We don't ignore what the prophet refers to in verse 7 as our own flesh and blood. Instead, we actively oppose injustice where we see it and work to free people from oppressive systems and also to work to help the poor. That's why we thank God for opportunities to minister in our communities and neighborhoods. That's also why we thank God for opportunities to work for reconciliation in our workplaces and around the world. Yet, verse 7 also reminds us that we perhaps especially fast by sharing our food with the hungry. You and I, in Isaiah's words, fast by spending ourselves on behalf of the hungry. And you see, in my lifetime, I have seen very few people who were malnourished. As a matter of fact, I found, I've seen a lot of people in my life who could probably stand fasting a few meals every week. Yours truly included. And so, it's not going to kill us to fast. Believe it or not, yes, your stomach's going to growl and you're going to feel hungry. And you're going to say, open the refrigerator door, I want everything in it. But, you won't die. Not yet. I mean, you're not going to... God's not asking us to fast to the point of starving ourselves to death. But He's going to ask for some sacrifice. And if we're fasting for the right reasons, it changes us. We are changed. 
we become true witnesses for Christ when we're fasting for the right reasons. Our relationship with God improves. And look at the last words of the passage for today. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. True fasting also opens up the possibility that God will actually be listening when we pray. Instead of saying, don't do that. Like Amos, the prophet said, you know, take away from me the noise of your songs. You're not living right. I don't want to hear it, God was saying. Well, God still says that if we're fasting and doing things for the wrong reason. So let's do them for the right reason. Let's do them because we love the Lord. Let's do them because we really want to model what it is to live a life that's filled with Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And so when we do that, God listens to our prayers. He answers our prayers. And we see that we get healing sped speedily. And our righteousness will actually speak a witness to the other people. You know, like the Thessalonians, where Paul con congratulated them because other churches in that area were talking about how the Thessalonians were showing the fruits of repentance and a life in Christ. And our witness will be self-evident when that happens. And that's a glorious thing. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living.